Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Glad again to be together. Uh, we're going to start with by praying. As always, we have a lot to pray for. Um, we want to pray for our local, state, and national leaders. Of course, there's a lot going on, both with the, the virus, with other issues. And leaders need to be wise and make godly decisions. So we want to pray for them. Pray they would have wise counselors and they would be given godly advice. And where the wise and godly advice was given and, and heeded, it would, it would prosper. And where foolish and ungodly advice was given and, and heeded, that it would fr- be frustrated. We want to pray for our church uh, and our church family. Uh, we still want to be safe with us. We want to be sure we're doing the things we ought to do. Uh, Rogers had knee surgery and recovering from that. Others have things going on along those lines. We want to be sure to pray for one another, pray for the other churches in Guyman. Uh, I know other churches are still not opening. Some are just opening today for the very first time. And then just, of course, to navigate all of the issues in life and try to reach our community. It's going to take all of us to do that. So pray for the other churches. Pray for Nancy Schmidt, the CEO of the Texas County Memorial Hospital, and all of our doctors and health care workers, uh, that they would be safe and that they would do what would be needed to take care of people. Continue to pray for Dan Stiles and the board and the staff, the residents of Dunaway Manor. Thus far, it has been God has blessed very much, and there have been only one actual case within the manor, a resident, uh, and only a few within the staff, and it has not bled into the residents. So praise the Lord for that. But we want to continue to pray, continue to pray for God to protect. Pray for the teachers and the students and the local school boards. Uh, as they try to decide what needs to be done for next school year. Nobody knows, as best I know for sure, how all that's going to play out. Continue to pray for those in our community who would be classified as the most vulnerable. Uh, Our numbers, active cases are are significantly lower than they have been, but we still have cases added every day, so people are still vulnerable. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for people to turn to Jesus in this time of uncertainty. I mean, this is a... A massive time of upheaval and uncertainty in our in our culture, both with the pandemic and then there's the, of course the the financial situations that would result that would result from that. There's the anger, there's the riots, there's all of these other things going on, uh, and in the end, the, the desperate need for everybody is to turn to Jesus. We want to pray for peace because, as we know, the Bible says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, We want to pray for Christians, for us, that we would avoid negativity, fault-finding, and contentiousness, but instead would stand out as God's loving and pure children. In a world of negativity, people being positive and people not fault-finding will certainly stand out. We want Americans to, to, to see there's deep spiritual poverty and their desperate need for God. Again, that's the real need, is for people to turn to God, but... Really, for so much of, of America, we're, we're more like the Laodiceans than anywhere else. We, we feel we are rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, and we don't know that we are wretched and blind and miserable and naked, and we need to seek Jesus for the things that we need. Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the American church that would launch them into the communities to witness for Christ. I, I mean... In the end, that's what's got to happen to see revival, to see renewal in our communities. The lost and the unchurched, they're not just going to meander into churches anymore. I don't know that that happens much anywhere in the world. But it's certainly, we could look around and we could see it's not happening here. 
And so the only way we're going to reach Guyman or Goodwill or Texoma or Hooker for Jesus is if the church, the Holy Spirit, is poured out upon us and we are launched out into community to be witnesses wherever we go. Pray God would turn people's hearts to Himself uh, because our efforts and our strength apart from God's working in people's hearts is not going to do any good. Pray people would see truth, error would be exposed, and people with wicked agendas would be made weak. So that's a lot to pray for, but it's all very needed, things we desperately need to see God do in our communities. I'll, I'll read Psalm, part of Psalm 44 and then we'll pray. We have heard with our ears, O God, and our fathers have told us what work Thou didst in their days and in the times of old. How Thou didst drive out the heathen with Thy hand and plants them, and how Thou did afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land uh, in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but Thy right hand and Thy arm and the light of Thy countenance, because Thou hadst favor on them. Thou art my King, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Through Thee we shall push down our enemies. Through Thy name we shall tread under those who rise against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But Thou hast saved us from our enemies. Thou hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long. Praise Thy name forever. Right, so I ask all that would to come to the altars to pray. Pray where you are. We just want everyone to pray. When we're through, we'll go on.
One of the scariest things I've ever done in my life was answer the call to preach. Being a preacher had never really been on my radar as far as things I wanted to do in my life. Uh, I wanted to be in the Army as far back as I could remember. And then when I got out of the Army, I was going to work with computers. And there was never any question when I got out of the Army what I was going to do. I was going to go to college. I was going to build computer networks. And there was never any doubt about where I was going in my life until one day there was. Our, our church was having a revival and the revival speaker was the then director of Free Will Baptist International Missions. And I wasn't going to get to go to many of the revivals because I had evening classes. And so I was only going to, get to go to one or two for the revivals of that week. And on the night, one of the nights I, had, I was going to get to go, I think it was a, probably a Tuesday night, for his main illustration, James, he put up a board, a big board, and he put it up here on the communion table. And it was a a map of the world. And on the map of the world, he had highlighted places where there was little or no gospel witness. And I remember I was horrified at, at how many places in the world where there was no gospel presence at all. I mean, I'm not talking only three or four churches. I mean, just almost no gospel presence, no evangelical Christians, no access to Jesus in their lives. Places where people could be born and live long and fruitful lives and then die of old age and never once have heard the name Jesus. And I'm not really sure overall what he preached on that night. My best guess is it had something to do with Great Commission because the map was the, the big illustration. And after service that night, he, he set it up out in the foyer. We had a table out there, kind of like what we have, and he set it up in the foyer out there, and, and I went to bed that night, and and I really couldn't sleep. I just thought all night about that picture and about all of those people who are going to live and die without ever hearing about Jesus. And, and it bothered me so bad; it was on my mind so much that the next night I was supposed to go to college, but I skipped school. In fact, I believe I skipped the rest of the week so that I could go to revival. And I went early on Wednesday night so I could look at the map, and I stood. In front of the map, just staring at all the places where there was no gospel witness. And one of my friends came up to me and he said, So, where are you going? Without looking away from the map, I said, I, I don't care. Wherever God wants me to go, I just, I want to, I have to do something about this. And in that moment, I lost all interest in building computer networks. I didn't want to finish the semester of college out. I wanted to go somewhere where there was no gospel witness and tell people about Jesus. So I was telling a friend about this. And he started trying to walk me off the cliff of dropping out of college and quitting my job and selling all that I had and surprising Kelly with a pair of tickets to somewhere in the world to tell her about our new life. And he said, what about the people here? Your classmates need Jesus. Your co-workers need Jesus. Your neighbors need Jesus. Help them meet Jesus while working toward wherever God wants you to go. And as strange as this may sound, that was a terrifying thought to me. That was far scarier than going overseas to be a missionary. Overseas, no one knew me. As far as they knew, I was a wonderful human being and a near-perfect Christian. They would never have seen or known anything else. But to talk to people I knew, 
about Jesus. It was a terrifying thought. To announce to the church I was a part of that I felt God had called me to preach was a terrifying thought. The thought was so terrifying that I didn't do it all at once. Instead, I did it in increments. In fact, looking back, they were very small increments, especially in light of the fact I had before thought about quitting all, selling all, and just moving overseas. But as I I moved forward with answering God's call in increments, I found out something. First, I found out God wasn't angry at me for not taking giant steps and just announcing to the church and going out and trying to preach in the community. Second, I found God was there and at work in every step of the way that I took, even though I was taking these small and incremental steps. We see these truths played out in the book of Joshua as well. So open your Bible to Joshua 2. I'm only going to read the first seven verses. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. I'm only going to read the first seven verses, uh, but we're actually going to look at the whole chapter this morning. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and they came to a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men who are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be entered. They come to search at all the country. And the woman took two men, took the two men, and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof of the house, and hid them there with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way of Jordan upon the fords. And as soon as they were pursued after them, they were gone out, they shut the gate. Title of the message this morning is, First Steps Forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we need you today to open our hearts and minds to your word. We could take it, apply it to our lives, and we could live it out. Lord, there are steps you and all of us to take to move forward. Lord, I I truly believe from what I see in your word, you are always calling us forward. While you're never calling us to sit still, you're never calling us to to rest in our complacency, to to live in our comfort zone, you're always calling us forward. The Lord, moving forward is a scary thought at times. And so we need you to help us. We need you to guide us. We need you to show us our next steps. We need you to show us it's okay to take small but definite steps forward because you're there, you're at work, you've not... You're not going to be angry about that, Lord. You just rejoice to see the work being done, the steps being taken. Guide us this morning to to be a people who would hear your call and would follow you wherever you would lead. Do whatever you'd want us to do. Fill me this morning with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Have your way, O God, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Now something that stands out to me about this in verse 1 it says Joshua sent out two men secretly to spy or to spy secretly right now to me this is part of what's great about this passage 
Right? This isn't load up everyone. We're crossing the Jordan River. Now, why did Joshua send the spies out secretly? Why did he do this incrementally like this? Well, it's because last time they made a big show about sending the spies out. And when the spies came back, what happened? The spies came back and said, we can't do it. The giants in the land, the walls in the land, we're like grasshoppers. We're going to die. I don't know why God sent us out here. And then it just caused a 40-year upheaval of life that, that messed everything up. So Joshua, I think, is moving forward no matter what. He's going across the river. He's leading the people across. But he's still kind of, as a tactical commander, he wants to know what's going on over there. So he sends the spies out secretly. So that if they come back with a bad report, he's going to bind them and gag them and hide them behind a tree and say, I think we should go on. Okay, that may not be what he's actually going to do. But he sends them out secretly. It's a small step forward. This isn't rally the people, we're moving across today. This is a, a, an incremental, but a definite step forward. And what they found as they made this incremental but definite step forward was God was already there and God was already at work. And, and what was true for them is going to be true for us. God is calling us forward. Make no mistakes. There is never a point in our lives where God is not calling us forward. No matter how young we may be, God is calling us forward. No matter how old we may be, God is calling us forward. Now what forward looks like for us as individuals is going to vary from person to person. But God is still calling us forward. And if we start taking these incremental, even though they're small steps, but definite steps forward, we're going to find the same thing they find. When we take our first steps forward, we find God is already at work. When we take our first steps forward, we find God is already at work. And what I want to do this morning from this chapter, show us four ways we find God at work when we take our first steps forward. First, and, and possibly most comforting, we find God is at work to protect us. Right? Now, this is sort of a do-over from last time they're at the edge of the promised land. The last time the scouts went across the land, went across, they saw the land but feared the people and didn't go. Would it be different this time? Of course, we know, spoiler alert, it, it would be. And when the scouts arrive in Jericho, they find God is already there. God is already at work. And part of what God is doing is protecting them. Now, I think this is significant because remember last time they were afraid. The people of the land were too big. There were giants. The walls were too big. We will die. And what they do is they move across the land and they find out God is there and God is protecting them. Right now, God protects them. By preparing a woman to hide them. Right? So they, they cross over, they go into the city, and they go to the house of a woman named Rahab. Now, let me say something about this, and it's not really a, a critically important aspect of the story, but it's something to kind of understand. When it says that Rahab was a harlot, I don't think we should understand that means like she's a streetwalker kind of harlot. But instead, she probably ran a, a bar and an inn and a house of ill repute all rolled into one. 
So like if you're of a certain age and you remember a show called Gunsmoke, right? In the town of Gunsmoke, there was Miss Kitty. Right? Rahab is a lot like Miss Kitty. She ran a bar, she ran an inn, and she ran other things as well. That's what Rahab was. So that's what they did. They went in and they found a place where they could blend. Right? Because they weren't like the people of the land. They were different. They would probably be dressed different. They would probably talk different. But where would be a place where different people could fit in and maybe not cause such a stir? The local inn, the local bar, and the local house of prostitution. And so they went in there to hide. And Rahab saw them. And apparently, from what we can gather, Rahab recognized who they were and what was going on. Because they understand that this doesn't happen necessarily what we see it's not happening in chronological order. Right? The men didn't come in asking about the Jericho, the spies from Joshua's people. And while they were there waiting, Rahab takes them up on the roof and hides them. They come in. Rahab recognizes who they are. She takes them up on the roof, which they had flat-roofed houses. And they often stored stuff up there. She takes them upstairs, puts them on the roof, puts... Branches down on top of them. So if somebody just walked up and looked, it would look like the place was empty. She goes back downstairs. The, the soldiers come. They say, hey, there were Israelites who came in here to spy out the land and they would have come to your place. Where are they? She says, I don't know. They came. But then they left. I'm betting right before the gate shut, they went on out. Right? God prepared her to hide them from the soldiers who came. Now, Rahab sent the soldiers out. Go ahead, and I bet if you go out now, I, I bet you can find them. Go out and, and search around, and you'll see them. Right? So, God had prepared Rahab for that. God also, and she lowers them down. Her house is built against the wall, and she makes a deal with them, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then she lets them out of the city without them having to go through the wall, the gate, where they'll be caught. God was protecting them by preparing her. But it's not only that. If you look at verse 22 and 23, it says that after they were lowered down, they went. Now remember, the, the soldiers are out looking for them. Right? The soldiers are out and they're fanning out. They're looking for these guys. And as they went, they came into the mountain and abode three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned. And descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all the things that befell them. Right, so God was protecting them here by hiding them, making sure these soldiers didn't find them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly that God is the one who hid them. And, and yet I think looking at the story, in light of what we know of all of Joshua, but even this chapter, I think we're supposed to understand. There's a reason these soldiers didn't find them as they pursued and it wasn't so much because they were such good scouts and such crafty people who hid. Instead, it was God protecting them. And what they found as they moved forward is what we'll find as we'll move forward. God is already at work to protect us. I think this is a huge thing, a hugely important thing. Because sometimes when we talk about moving forward, it's fear that holds us back. That is... The, the number one issue that holds us back is 
fear. What will happen if I... And, and we have in our mind, maybe we, we move forward. We follow God. We do this. Everything's going to fall apart. Everything's going to be destroyed. I, I'm going to be killed. Bad things are going to happen. But what we'll find if we move forward... God is already at work to protect us. Now, this doesn't mean it won't be difficult. right? When they cross over, they're going to fight battles. It's going to be long, hard battles to fight. We're going to find that too. God's protection doesn't mean no battles, no stress, no issues, no difficulties. But it does mean God will be there with us, God will be there for us, and God will be protecting us. Now, we see the idea of God protecting us all throughout Scripture. One of my very favorites is Psalm 18. We don't have time to look at Psalm 18 as a whole. Uh, you should meditate, take some time this week and read the whole chapter. It's pretty long. Meditate upon it. It's a beautiful passage. It tells us so much about the greatness and the goodness of our God. We only have time this morning to just look at this one verse. David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God. My strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Now let me just kind of take a minute and talk about what those things mean. Right, so rock, fortress, and high tower. Group those together because they all seem to mean the same thing. It, it pictures a huge place like a rock or a fortress where you could go to hide. Right? It's a, a stronghold, a place where you're safe from the attacking hordes. If a fortress was sturdy enough, there was nothing and no enemies that could conquer you while you're in it. God is a rock, a fortress, and a high tower. God is a, a deliverer. And the word deliverer means the one who rescues us from distress or trouble. Right? And what this means for us God isn't passive in the trials and hardships of our lives. Instead, He is actively working for us to deliver us out of those trials, in the midst of those trials. How awesome is that about our God? God is a, He's, a, he's my strength. And the word strength there could possibly be better translated as rock, but it's not the, it's not the same kind of rock as we've already looked at. Instead, it carries with the idea of strength and immobility. And it pictures God as being unchanging. God is sure. So while everything around us changes, God remains the same. Right? And just think about the 2020. Isn't it great to know? God is unchanging. Everything has changed this year. There is nothing like we anticipated. And yet our God is sure and steadfast. And He remains the same. God is a shield or a buckler. Shield, of course, was used for protection. It was used to protect a soldier from the blows of a sword and the shots of an arrow. Probably we can all think of times God has protected us from something. And I can think of times where God has protected me from exploding grenades that didn't hurt me to bullets that flew over my head and missed me to car crashes where no one was injured. God has kept His hand of protection upon my life. But it's not just a physical protection that God has for us. It's also a spiritual protection. Right? So we know from the book of Job that Satan prowls around, right? 
Peter says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why has he not devoured you? Why has he not devoured me? Well, as Job says, Satan goes and says, I know you've put a hedge around him and all that he has. It's because God is a shield unto us. He is protecting us. Even in this moment, at this time. So Satan does not devour us. God is the horn of my salvation. Now, for the most part, that means diddly squat to us. That is not a phrase we use in common vernacular. But in biblical times, the horn of an animal represented its strength. So it pictures God as the strength of salvation, David's salvation, or God is the strength behind our salvation. David's might in battle wasn't because David was a mighty man. It was because the strength of God was behind him. Because God was fighting for him. God was delivering him. And God was protecting him. Now, part of what I like about this passage is the way David personalizes. David doesn't say God is a rock, a fortress, a deliverer, a God, a source of strength, someone others could trust. A buckler, a horn of my salvation, and a high tower. Rather, David says, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. He is my deliverer and my God. My strength in whom I will trust. My buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. This, I think, is a key to taking those first steps forward. It is one thing to say God is a rock and God is a fortress. It is something entirely different to say God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my deliverer. Learning to think this way, learning to speak this way about who God is to us is critical to taking our steps forward. If I just think God is a rock, well that's great and that's fine. So you can go forward, but not necessarily me. But if God is my rock, God is my fortress, if God is my deliverer, if I can trust Him, if He is my strength, then I can take those first steps forward. Then I can move forward. And as I do, even though I'm afraid, even though I worry, even though I'm concerned, I can take those first steps forward and what I will find is God is already at work. He is there to protect me. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He is working for me in that time. And that emboldens me to take another step. And then another. And then another. That's how we move forward. When we take those first steps forward, we find God is already at work. And He is at work protecting us. Secondly, When we take those first steps forward, we find God is at work to glorify His name. Look at verse 9. And she said to the men, Rahab, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, that your terror is falling upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, They were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. 
And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. You know, God had been working their lives all of this time. He had led them across the river. had led them out of Egypt. He had taken care of them, given them victories in battle. And all that God had done in fighting for Israel up to this point, it had reached the ears of the people in Jericho, the people of the land. And when they heard it, it says their hearts fainted because of them. Right? It gave out. They had no more fight in them. They knew. They knew if Israel crosses the Jordan River and comes here, we're going to lose. But it wasn't because of them, right? It's not we're afraid of you because you're such great military might people. You're God. Your God parted the sea. Your God gave you victory over Sihon and Og. Your God did it then, and they believed God would do it now. They were convinced. Convinced. Absolutely convinced. The God of Israel was great and awesome. They were absolutely convinced He was the great and the mighty God. He is the God of heaven above and of earth beneath. Now that's a significant statement for a couple of reasons. One I'll talk about in a minute. But one that's significant is in this time, people didn't really believe in gods that were gods everywhere. But there were gods who were gods of the sea. And they... They, were, they basically lived on the sea and gave victory on the sea. Then there were gods in the valleys. And the gods in the valleys lived in the valleys and gave victory in the valleys. And there were gods on the hilltops. And they gave victory on the hilltops and they lived on the hilltops. But to say the Lord God was the God of heaven above and earth beneath was to say, God, your God is unlike all of the gods of Jericho and of this land. For He is God up there. He is God down here. He is God everywhere. God's name was already being glorified among a pagan and unbelieving people long before they ever arrived. One of the passions of God's heart is the glory of His name. God's passion, God's desire is for His name to be glorified by all nations at all times. But in Malachi, we're familiar with this passage. From the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, that's a picture of what God wants. God wants His people to live in such a way even the unbelieving world says their God is awesome. Right? Because the Gentiles, that's not the people of God. The heathen, those aren't believers. What God is telling them through Malachi is, I want you to live in such a way that all the nations of the world see who you are and how you are and how you worship me and what you do for me. And they would say, the God of Israel is awesome. Even if they didn't surrender their lives to the God of Israel. And that is still God's passion. For this world today. God's passion is for us as His people. To live in such a way that the world would see our God is great. Our God is awesome. That even if they do not believe, they would have to say the God of the church of Jesus Christ is amazing. That is God's passion. That is God's desire. This is the one of the reasons He works in us and through us and for us. 
as we move forward. This is one of the reasons He calls us forward. So that we can bring glory unto His name. Let me show you a passage. Psalm 67, verses 1-3. through God be merciful unto us and bless us. Cause His face to shine upon us. That Thy way may be known upon the earth. Thy saving health among all the nations. Let the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Now this was one of the Psalms Psalms I prayed this week. And notice the progression of the prayer. It's cool. God be merciful to us. We pray for God's mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Right? That's mercy. God be merciful. We're always in need of mercy. We never are in a place where we say, God, we, we have done this and thus you owe us. God never owes us anything. So we are always pleading, God, be merciful unto us. And after we have humbled ourselves and confessed our need for mercy, that we truly deserve nothing from God, we pray for God's blessings upon us. But God's blessings are God giving us what we don't deserve. So first, we don't want what we do deserve, but we do want what we don't deserve. We want God to bless us. That's what we want, right? We always want God to bless us. I mean, everything we ask for is kind of a blessing. God, hear my prayer and do this. Help in this. Strengthen me in that. Help this. I mean, God bless us. We all pray for that. But notice why we want God to be merciful to us and why we seek God to bless us. That thy way may be known upon the earth. That thy saving health or thy salvation among all the nations. We want God's mercy and God's blessings so His salvation can be known upon all the earth, among all the nations. We pray for God to work in us and through us and for us. But not just for our sakes. We want God to work in us and through us and for us for the sake of the nations, the sake of the lost. Really? Now, it does mean the nations, right? So it is us and it would be the lost of Guyman and Goodwill and Texoma and Hooker. But it would also be the lost of India, the lost of North Korea, the lost everywhere. We want God to be merciful to us. We want God to bless us so that His salvation will be known throughout our community, throughout our country, and throughout the entire world. But it's not just for the sake of the nations. God be merciful to us and bless us, cause His face to shine upon us, that Thy way may be known upon the earth, Thy salvation among the nations... Let the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. So, we want God to not give us what we do deserve. We want God to give us what we don't deserve. For the sake of the nations. But not just for the sake of the nations. Also for the sake of His glory. For the sake of His name. We want the salvation of God to spread through the nations. So they will become worshipers of God. We want the salvation of God to spread through our community. So that the people in Gaiman would praise God. And give Him the glory He alone deserves. 
And make no mistake, God alone deserves to be worshipped and glorified among the people and among the nations. There is no other so-called God who deserves to be worshipped or glorified among the nations. God alone, Yahweh alone, Jesus alone deserves the worship and the glory of the nations and the peoples. Because all other gods are mere idols. The word idols, the one that's most often used in the Psalms especially, carries with it the idea of something that is weak and worthless because it's nothing. Right. So like yesterday, I was reading in Isaiah, my daily Bible reading. And, and Isaiah talks about the idol maker. And you've probably read the story. It's like he, he chops down a tree and he takes part of it and he builds a fire and he heats himself. And then he cooks his food over it. And then he takes the other part of it and he shapes it in the form of a God and he bows down to it and he worships it and he says, Oh, deliver me! And he never considers the foolishness of making a God out of what he's just burned. He never asks himself, Is this nothing? That's what idols are. They are the man-made idols of our world are, are nothing. All of the gods outside of Yahweh, outside of Jesus, are nothing. They are weak. They are worthless. They are nothing. So let me be clear what I'm talking about. The God of Islam is is nothing. The God of Mormonism is nothing. The God of Jehovah's Witnesses is nothing. The God of Scientology is nothing. The God of New Age Spiritism is nothing. The God of Buddhism is nothing. The God of woke culture is nothing. Therefore, anyone who worships any of those things is giving praise and glory to something that does not deserve their praise and their glory. God alone deserves all praise and all glory By all people. There are people all around the world who worship something, but it is not the one true God of the Bible. It is not Yahweh. It is not Jesus. And He deserves their worship. He deserves to be glorified by them. And as we seek to move forward, God works in us and through us and for us to glorify His name among the peoples. There are people in Diamond and Hooker and Goodwell and Texoma who do not worship the one true God. And He alone deserves their praise and their worship and their glory. And one of the reasons God is going to call us forward as individuals, us forward as families, us forward as a church, is so that His salvation can be known among the nations so that they will praise His name and give Him the glory that He alone deserves. And when we take those first tentative steps forward, we find God is at work glorifying His name. God is at work to change lives. 
What we see in verse 11. Her statement about the Lord God. It's God in heaven above and earth beneath. Should be taken as a statement of faith in God. It's a statement that echoes something Moses said in Deuteronomy 4 and 39. And her statement of faith about God being God in heaven above and earth beneath. Leads her to ask them. If we were to paraphrase it in light of Acts, she asked them, My brethren, what must I do to be saved? Right? For, so verses 12 through 22 or 21, that's what she's asking. Your God's going to bring judgment upon this land. How can we be saved from the judgment to come? How can I be saved from the judgment to come? So they tell her what to do. Right? You, you don't tell anyone about our being here and what we're planning. And you tie a scarlet cord and you hang it out your window. And you bring people into your house. And when we come, anybody in your house where that scarlet cord is, and you haven't told our, our secret, anyone there is going to be saved. Of course, we know, if you're familiar with the story of Joshua, that's exactly what happens. When they arrive in the land, the scarlet cord is hanging out the window. And they march around the walls. The walls fall down. But Rahab's house stands. Her family is saved. She is then incorporated into the people of God. Her and all of her family. Now we read about Rahab again in a couple of places. But one that is most significant. In Matthew 1 and 5. Salmon beget Boaz of Rahab. Boaz beget Obed of Ruth, and Obed beget Jesse. This is one line from the genealogy of Jesus. God made such a radical change in her life that she became an ancestor of the Messiah when he arrived. It's the kind of change God makes in a life. It's the kind of change God works to make in the world. And write this down. I know it's got, it should have a reference for John 4. We don't have time to look at John 4. But John 4, and I'll just kind of tell you the story. John 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. Right? He, he goes to her. He, he talks to her. And she asks about the Messiah to come, that she's heard about Him. Let me just kind of read some things and and we'll quickly go. And Jesus tells her, I I am the Messiah that that you've read about, you've heard about all your life. And as soon as she hears that, she sets her water pot down and she runs back into the city and she tells all the people, there's a guy out by the well and he told me all the things that I've done. Could this be the Messiah. And while she's out there telling them about that, Jesus' disciples come back. And He tells them, He says, that don't say, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're already wide unto harvest. Right? And I think what He's doing, He's not so much pointing at a field. At this point, we know the village is coming out to see Jesus. So she's gone back to tell them they're coming back. And Jesus says, look at the fields. They're they're ready to be harvested. 
Right? He says, I'm going to send you to reap where others have sown. And if you've ever heard me talk about this passage, I've talked about hard work and hallelujah work and trying to save souls and trying to be a soul winner. Sometimes we do the hard work of planting the gospel and watering the gospel and praying for people and laboring for them. And then other times we get to do the hallelujah work of being the one that gets to lead them to Jesus. And then it says in this passage that many of the Samaritans of the city believed upon him. First for the saying of the woman, and then after they heard him, because they heard him themselves. And I think the picture in John 4 is that it was a huge portion of the village. right? So I think we're supposed to understand maybe not everyone, but the majority of them. Now, there are some interesting parallels, and the reason I use that passage in particular, between Rahab and the woman at the well. And I want to highlight them in in a way to understand how God works in us, through us, and for us to change lives. First, Rahab's salvation impacted many. But not only was Rahab saved, but her entire family was saved. As I mentioned, Rahab was incorporated, her whole family was incorporated to the people of God until Rahab herself became a part of the genealogy of, of Jesus. It's a massive shift. Loads of people were impacted by her salvation. The woman at the well, the majority of the city came to salvation because of that. Rahab is listed as a harlot. The woman at the well was also a woman who was sexually immoral. Teaching us no one is too far gone to be saved. All who believe in Jesus and call upon Jesus will be saved by Jesus. This is true regardless of what kind of life they were living when they believed on Jesus and called upon Jesus. Thirdly, Rahab was not a Jew. The woman at the well was a Samaritan, not a Jew. Revelation 7 and 9 tells us there is coming a day when people from every tribe and nation and people and language will worship the Lamb upon His throne. No people group is excluded from being invited to come to God through faith in Jesus. God is working to redeem a people for Himself. I mean, even amongst His glory, how does God get His get glory from the nations? Remember? The salvation is declared among the nations, and then they begin to praise Him. So make no mistake, as God calls us forward as individuals, or us forward as a family, or us forward as a church, one of the overarching reasons He's calling us forward is so we can reach people for Him. God is in the life-changing business. He always has been. He always will be. That's not going to change. If the world goes on to the year 4020, God will still be redeeming a people for Himself through His people as they move forward. That is what He wants us to do. You and I are meant to be a part of God's mission of redeeming a people unto Himself. We are meant to move forward so God can work in us and through us and for us to save souls, to change lives, to restore prodigals, to see captives set free, to see the spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ. All of us are meant to be on that mission. None of us are excluded. As God calls us forward, He is calling us forward To reach the woman at the well. To reach the prostitute at the inn. To reach the Muslim who lives next door. To reach whoever and wherever in our community and beyond. To the ends of the earth. God is calling us forward to redeem a people to Himself. When we take those first steps forward, we find God is already at work changing lives and redeeming a people 
And then finally, God is at work to keep His promises. Look at verse 24. And they said unto Joshua, Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even the inhabitants of the land do faint because of us. Massive shift from last time. Last time they came back and said, It's a good land, but we're going to die. They come back and they say, It's a good land. And God's going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. God is going to keep His promises. And I mentioned this in the very first week that we talked about this series. The answer or the fulfillment of God's promises is always forward. Right? Israel at the brink of the Jordan River, the fulfillment of everything they've lived for for 300 years is just over there. But they don't go over there and they miss all God wanted to do in them and through them and for them. The fulfillment of God's promises is always forward in our lives. Just think about what we've talked about today. Protection. If we stay where we've always been and we do what we've always done and we stay in the zone of our comfort and in our complacency, from what do we need God's protection. Protection is not needed in the safe zone. Protection is needed when you step out of the safe zone and into the place where God is leading you. To glorify His name. How does staying still and in our comfort zone and in our complacency zone and doing the same things that we've always done, how does that glorify God's name. Isn't the glorification of God's name when we step forward out of our comfort zone where we have to live by faith and demonstrate the greatness, the power, and the goodness of our God? Of course it is. Saving souls, changing lives. As we stay in our comfort zones, as we stay where it's easy, where we stay doing what we've always done, how many lives are being changed? How many lives... Just, I mean, let's, let's just be real personal with all of this, with all of us. How many people have you led to Jesus where you are? How many people have I led to Jesus where I am? I'm not saying you people are bad, I'm saying me. How has your family impacted others outside of your family to come to Christ? How many people is our church reaching for Jesus every year? Apparently staying still isn't doing a whole lot, is it? Because can't none of us point to a big list of people we've led to Jesus. Probably most of our families can't point to a big list of people that we've influenced for Jesus. The sad fact is, we haven't baptized anybody in our church in several years. Tragic. As a matter of fact, it's been so long, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not sure if the baptistry works. Apparently staying here, where we are, apparently it ain't working. What do we do? We can stay here and die out. Or we can move forward where God will work in us, through us, and for us to change lives. That's what He wants to do. When God put it upon the hearts of those people in 1957 to plant a free will Baptist church in Gaiman, Oklahoma, it wasn't to extend the name of free will Baptist. When Wade Jernigan came out here at the behest of the Oklahoma State free will Baptist to start this church, 
It wasn't to extend the name of Free Will Baptist. It was to see souls saved and lives changed. That was God's plan for this church. when it arrived. God has kept this church going and here since 1957 for that goal. To glorify His name by spreading the gospel around through our community and to the ends of the earth. If we stop being about that, we will stop to be a church. We will miss out on God's promises. We will miss out on God's blessings. And it won't take many years before our church is more of a museum and it's up for sale than it is a place where souls are saved and lives are changed. If we want our church to have an impact on our community, you and I as individuals, we've got to go forward. Our families have got to go forward. And our church has got to go forward. I don't have a full list of what that looks like. I just know there's got to be a willingness and a readiness on our part to do it. Because if we just want to stay here where it's comfortable and it's complacent and we can do what we've always done, then soon we'll talk about the good old days when we went to the Northridge Free Will Baptist Church. We sure enjoyed that place. Yeah, right now it's it's a Mexican restaurant. Right now it's a storage facility. There's where we used to have church at, right there. Churches in Godman close every year. Churches around the nation close every year. And let me be just be ruthlessly honest. you know why they close? They cease to move forward. When a church ceases to move forward, ceases, ceases to try to reach people and change lives, why do we need God's power? Why do we need God's protection? God just kind of withdraws His hand and lets the church shrivel and die. The fulfillment of God's promises, of all He wants, to, all He's promised for a church and for a people, it's not right here where we are. It is not in the comfortable chair and in the comfortable zone. It's forward. We must move forward. And when we move forward, we find God is a promise-keeping God. All of the promises of God are yes and amen. Through Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a key fact. The moment Adam and Eve fell into sin, God promised one day He would send a Redeemer. He would send someone to crush the serpent's head, break his hold over mankind, and to undo all that had gone wrong that day in the garden. Jesus fulfilled this promise on the cross. So, what Paul is saying is if God will keep that promise, even though it meant terrible death of His Son on the cross of Calvary, won't He keep all the others? If you and I, if we can look at the cross and see the penalty for our sins has been paid, we can look at the cross and say God will do all He has said He would do. We can look at the cross and say as they did in the book of Joshua. Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands the land. God will do what He has said He would do. So here's what I ask you this morning. What is the first step you need to take? What is your incremental but definite step forward you need to take? I'm not saying, hey, who's going to sell all that they have, give it to the poor, move to Iran to share the gospel. I'm not asking for that today. What I'm saying is a small step, but a definite step. Not a, I need to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. What is the definite step you as an individual need to take? 
What is the definite step your family needs to take? And I think as a church, we all need to pray, what are the definite steps we need to take? Whatever God is going to do in us and through us and for us, it's not sitting in our comfort zones. It's forward. God is calling us forward. And when we take those first steps forward, we find God is already at work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy.